Hello and welcome back to our uh, Conversations with Oscar nominee podcast series. This is Glenn Kaiser with the Dolby Institute. This podcast is a co-production between the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. And um, you guys don't have to look so glum. My God. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> giggle. You said no giggling. You said no laughing. I'm you guys are Oscar nominees. Come on. You guys, like, be, you guys should be that, happy. He set us up for that one. Like, don't giggle. Don't giggle. Oh, why aren't you giggling? I look in your eyes because I need you to Well, as you, as, you, as you can probably tell by listening, we're, we're back at Skywalker Ranch talking <laughs> with my old friends Steve Bodeker and Brandon Proctor, who are nominated for Academy Awards this year for their work on Black Panther. Gentlemen, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Steve, you're 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 a you know, you're an old hand at this now. This is your second nomination, right? Uh, it is. Yeah, it is. you were nominated for All Is Lost, which was just a fantastic track that you did on, for J.C. Chandler a couple of years ago. Yes, and I have to say that was with Brandon Proctor, who's sitting right next to me. <laughs> and uh, just due to the way that the Academy works and the split of nominees the and the splitting, yeah. yeah, I got to go and he stayed home. Yeah. Well, so. congratulations on your first Academy Award nomination. Thank you. Yeah. Brandon, you've had a hell of a year between Black Panther and you also mixed A Quiet Place, yep. which is an, an, an extraordinary track as well. Thanks. Yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. That was kind of back to back and a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had a kid, which is another whole other thing. Well, that's between you and somebody else. I'm not interested <laughs> in talking about that. What? So what? did you guys have... Any idea how big Black Panther was going to be? Like, at what point did you understand sort of, like, how massive this thing was going to be? I I got to read the script. And so, to me, the big was on the page. It was, the message was really important. And uh, so I had a lot of, I, like, put a lot of pressure on myself to just make sure that it kind of lived up to what Ryan was trying to accomplish. Um so when it came out and it was big and everybody was really excited about it, that to me that was icing on the cake because it was already so important of uh, what he was doing and what he was writing. And um, I have to add, by the way, that our whole team, um, I mean, there's two of us sitting here talking to you now, but we are representing a whole group oh, yeah, of people. Absolutely. And everybody felt the same weight of importance of what we were doing. And so everybody took it very that, serious. Yeah, it wasn't until the premiere that I realized just how excited people were going to get about it. So... Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, of fun. we had a lot of fun, but we definitely took it. You know, we took the subject serious. You know, we. Yeah. It was, you know, an important film. We knew it was important. We didn't know how big it would really become. I mean, it's a Marvel film, so you know, there's going to be some kind of weight and size to it. Um, but it definitely, you know, kept moving. And once you started seeing the social media impact, you know, it really hit home. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's pretty great. That's great. So, um, Steve, this was not your first time, obviously, working with Ryan. Like, how? It's hard for me to believe that this is only his third film, but it's just right. so like the size and scale is so impressive. But like, is he still like approaching sound the same way that he did even on like Fruitvale Station and and the and the and the, and the earlier films? He he does. He takes sound very seriously. Um, he actually considered getting into sound when he went to USC at first. So he understands the value of sound as far as storytelling and emotion, and he writes it into his scripts. So um, you know that when you're going to be working with Ryan, I mean, not only is he just an amazing, inspiring person to be around, but he really cares about what you're doing. And so um, it it makes it simultaneously fun and also um, exciting and a little nerve-wracking because you know that the expectations are very high and uh, you want to deliver, especially for a guy like Ryan. So Yeah. And he wants to be there. I mean, you know, it's a little harder with Black Panther because they have so many – 
you know, visual effects meetings, and they're constantly doing updates. He's getting pulled in different directions. Left and right. It's, right. it's everything scheduled to the, you know, minute, really tight. And, you know, during Creed, he was there with us constantly and just collaborating, like, oh, what if we try this? And just getting excited about the whole process. And he would stop by for Black Panther and be like, I just want to be here all day with you guys. And just, it was like, you know, like a playground for him. He wants to really enjoy that. And he just... He didn't quite get to always have that time. I mean, we definitely gave him his time, so we'd do screenings for him special, and then we would do screenings for you know Marvel execs. So he always had his say, you know, represented. So that was nice. Talk to me a little bit about what Ryan's like on the mixing stage. Like, what I mean, what would, what's the process of? Did you guys do temp mixes? Like, how how did this whole thing kind of come together? We didn't really, I mean, we sort of did temp mixes, but they keep it all in-house. So it's kind of an ongoing thing that they sort of do. And some of them you hear about after the fact. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but but he's just, he's like a really cool guy. He's exactly the same as he always was. He's first and foremost about the story um, and about the vision that he's trying to kind of get in front of people. And he's... I'm sure somewhere deep down he's really good at, pl- at the political game, but you don't see it. Mm. He does, he's very apolitical in the way he approaches things and very collaborative. Like, like, as much as he has a clear vision, he wants to hear your vision too. And he pretty much surrounds himself with people that I think he trusts and that he um, respects their opinion. And so if you say something, uh, everybody in the room kind of gathers around. like, okay, let's check that out. Let's try it out. Yeah. He's pretty real about everything. Even you know Marvel with all their with the execs, he would collaborate with them. It sure. wouldn't be like, you know, just try to push things through. It'd be more of a like, okay, so I've got this idea. I want to set this up. There's a new music track. We're gonna try something. This is new for you. He would kind of let them know this. You're about to hear something that's kind of different, you know. But I want to try this out because we know something that already works. But let's let's try this, and then we're gonna go back and do a couple of things so it all ties together. Um, just give me a minute. You know, let's tell me what you think because we're just gonna try something, and they would play it for them. And th- so they're not bombarded by anything. They are a part of. He brings them into his world, so and they do the same thing. Them thing. Absolutely, yeah. it's not that at all. And then they they do the same, and then they they give him that time of day. They're like, okay, well let's let's listen to you. Let's see what you have to say. Like, okay. Uh, you know, I, I got to sit with this for a minute. You know, I, I did like what we had, but I see, I see. you know, he gives him a backstory well, to and, it. and ultimately he made a fantastic movie. So <laughs> that, yes. that, that, that makes life a lot easier for, yeah, for everybody. Steve, you're wearing multiple hats. Like, and, and how did you guys collaborate on the mix? And, and t- walk me through that process. Um, we collaborated in like the craziest way, actually, as far as the actual technical mixing. Um, I knew that the effects were going to be, it was going to be a very, very busy job. Um, and we knew that, I mean, this is some of the most complex dialogue tracks I've ever seen, just as far as how much stuff was there and ADR and different languages and all the loop group and all that crazy stuff. And so Brandon and I talked early on. It's like, well, what if we share the music mixing duties so that when we get to a scene where it's really important that the dialogue and the music work together, that Brandon can grab the music and do what he needed to do. And same thing with the effects. The best way for the effects and the music to both kind of do their role as strongly as possible is to make sure that the other thing is getting out of the way or that they're at least mixed together in a way that you get the best of both. So it was kind of crazy because we... Because it's more typical for the dialogue mixer to also mix the music, and then you've got effects right. mixed by a separate person. So you right. guys, Steve, you mix the effects, Brandon, you mix the dialogue, and then you guys shared the music and yep. would hand that back yeah. and forth. That's wild. And it, it, and it worked. Nice. We have the same aesthetic. We we already kind of have, but it really integrated as like you talk about team. Like 
we, you know, there were times where we were actually mixing music simultaneously together. Like, I remember I was grabbing panners. <laughs> it's true. He had his hands, he's mixing faders, and I'm grabbing panners, and I'm doing something. He's, and then we go, you know, there was a couple times where I'm like, we're fighting each other. Wait a minute, are you? Oh, okay, yeah, oh, I got it. Okay, well, let's try, you know. So it's a little back and forth, but, you know, for the most part, we were trying to get to the same place. And then sometimes, like, literally, like, we, we didn't even realize it. We're like... We, you know, we were just both touching the music machine at the same time. Right. You know, well, yeah, like, in the end, we did nothing. We just left it exactly the way he delivered. <laughs> they're like, they're like, oh, well, yeah, it's just at zero again. This is great. Yeah, I just Ludwig, made it louder. Ludwig, Ludwig it comes louder. in and he's like, did you guys do anything? <laughs> you guys are idiots. <laughs> uh, but I mean, strings. it was crazy because those guys, they're so busy. So Ryan and the execs, they're bouncing around from visual effects to editing to music to you name it. So they left us alone a lot. Yes. So, um, you know, we really were able to just play as much as we could. And the rest of the crew would just come in and we would just throw around ideas. And it was kind of cool because at first I was a little nervous that it's, okay, we have to get this done quick so that we can show Ryan, so that we can do Ryan's notes, so that we can then show Marvel. And it was like so many, every other day was a crazy deadline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what was nice is that we could do what we wanted to do knowing that Ryan was our sort of safety net. Mm-hmm. that he would be hearing what we had tried. And if it wasn't in line with what he wanted, we could correct it before we presented it to everyone else. And sometimes we could try something a little bit crazy. And if he dug it, he was our advocate, and we could kind of present it together. So, um, And working with him before, we, we already kind of had a language with him. Like, we kind of knew what he liked and didn't like. And yeah. we're like, all right, let's try to go as big as possible with this. Okay, let's pull back. Uh, we clobbered the story there. And occasionally we'd like to say, like, uh, is that working? He's like, yeah, yeah. And he's just kind of like thinking, he's just, you can tell he's just taking it in. Like, uh-huh. let me sit with it. You know, yeah. and asking, I, I, that might be. And then it would, you know, I got to hear a couple more times. And, then, and that would mean, yeah, we're not quite done yet. <laughs> well, uh, honestly, he was, <laughs> he was actually really good with just knowing that, like, it's new. And he didn't want to judge it based on it being a new thing. It's so easy to throw something well, out. Well, because that's, you know. yeah, that's always the case with a director when you're at that point in a process. Like, that's, you know, they've been living with something for so long. Sometimes if you if you introduce something new, it's kind of hard for them to totally. make And he's really good at kind of like, let me let me absorb that and take it and hold on to it. And, you know, maybe we'll mess with it, maybe we won't, you know. And uh, I want to hear it a few more times. So we've talked about music a little bit. Um, Steve, I know you, know you and I have talked with Ludwig in the past, but I'm, I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about like how you collaborate with Ludwig you know, and making sure that there's you know, some coordination between the, the, the music and the sound design of the film. That's actually one of the things I was about to bring up because he – so we actually did a lot of the sound design stuff, and we would send them things regularly to check out. Sometimes they would use it in the Avid. Sometimes it was just something that would get presented to Ryan. So Benny and I were working really closely to try to get the sound effects and the sound design of the movie really in line with what Ryan was looking for all along the editorial process. And Ludwig was doing the same with music. And so – the stuff that we were sending them would end up making its way to Ludwig and the stuff that Ludwig was sending would make it way, its way to us. And so we always kind of had an idea of what the other was doing. Um, we, we sent some stuff back and forth. Ludwig sent me some uh, instruments, samples of some instruments that he was using, and we integrated those into some of the sound design, some percussion, some shakers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best part was because Ludwig had worked with Ryan since they were in USC, um, we knew that the music that was in there was something that the two of them had talked about quite a bit, probably from the script point mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And so when we could listen to that, we knew exactly where they were headed emotionally and what they were looking for. 
You know, if a scene like like the um, ancestral plains was was played very kind of beautiful and mystical in the music, that was a roadmap immediately for what to do with the sound effects and how to support it and for the mix. So. Well, that kind of tees up. I've, there are several sequences that I wanted to ask you guys about, and the ancestral plane is is one of those um, sequences. So you, you talked a little bit about. So talk to me about the sound design for that sequence, and then Brandon, I, you were doing some really interesting stuff with the dialogue in the ancestral plane sequences, and I'd, I'd love to hear about that. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, again, it's dreamy, so we're right. trying to make it as. So dreamy. that kind of gives you an, uh, that gives you a license to be maybe a little bit more abstract than you could in some other sequences. Totally, you know, messing with reverbs and trying to, you know, there there were times where I would try to make it really dry to make it more intimate and then use a reverb to kind of just take it into in, into that environment of the design and music. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's, uh, it's, I guess we did use reverb a lot in that sense, you know, but it, it was also used as the absence of reverb when you can get to get rid of it mm-hmm. to make it feel a little bit more real and not so, you know, distant and in and, and other dreams like say, you know. Well, we really put Brandon on the spot, too, because as we were playing with that scene more and more, we had the sound design was very kind of mysterious and musical. Um, in fact, I had made this this musical tone thing that I put in there at one point that I really liked because it sort of worked with the music, but then it wouldn't because it modulated. And so um, kind of had that in there and just sort of the light foley of sounds of things. And then as Brandon was working on the dialogue and it was just getting better and better and cleaner and cleaner, we were able to start stripping out things. And we finally got to those points where it's like, what if we took all the music and all the effects basically out Mm-hmm. And let it just be dialogue. These voices, yeah, yeah. For um, what was it? What does he say? We left him. Yeah, and then T'Challa starts yelling. And it's if you listen, it's nothing. It's like you're talking about the second. So the second when it's sort of the confrontation in the yep. ancestral plane, mm-hmm. where he's confronting them about why did you leave this child behind and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. If you listen, you, if you pay attention to the backgrounds and the sound effects, and you pay attention to the music, you can hear them just go away. They drift away. And uh, and then it's the Brandon Proctor show. There you Brandon go. and T'Challa just took over. There used to be some green screen fans and stuff. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh yeah, it was not. We had to get fans. rid of. Yeah, you know, every time there was like a nice quiet moment, there was some nice fans in the background to get rid of. But yeah. So can you talk? But, and then there's a parallel because when Killmonger, you know, when he has his sort of, I guess you don't call it the ancestral plane, but when he takes the, you know, the, the herb and then he goes back to Oakland, like when right. he was a child, and he has a conversation with his dad. What was the what was the sound treatment of on that scene? Uh, a little more naturalistic, but but again, you know, you want to talk about what you were doing there, Steve? We did put. Um, it's kind of if you pay attention and you're listening for it, you can definitely hear. We put bar trains all over the place. Yeah, just kind of as a throwback to Fruitvale Station. Sure, and it's Oakland, of course, and that's where Ryan grew up, and it's a Bay Area. That's where we're all from. So um, a lot of those transitions. Uh, even in the beginning, but also in the ancestral plane, you can hear these mysterious kind of Bart train sounds that sort of transition you through there. But uh, we we did. We want to strip away some of those naturalistic sounds and make it as close to the ancestral plane kind of vibe as we could get because it was sort of a language that we had already established. Let's talk about the sound design of Wakanda and what, you know, because obviously you've got kind of uh, just a wide open field in terms of technology and but it's also there's a there's a very organic quality to it because of 
you know, where you are physically. So t- talk about your approach to, to Wakanda and the design of that. Um, actually, you could even go further and say what the design of the whole movie was, and not just for the sound design, but also for the music. It was this parallel and this kind of dance between um, authentic kind of African instruments, very organic percussion, drums, things like that, and then also precision, high-tech sounds. And the idea was that that Wakanda is this country that fictional country that if it had not been colonized and allowed to sort of progress through time without any kind of oppression like that, what would happen? What would be the possible technology that they would have developed? And we had all kinds of conversations about the technology because, as we know, as technology advances, oftentimes it gets quieter to the point of being silent. Still, you mm-hmm. know, you drive a Tesla and it's really quiet. Yeah. And so some of the technology conversations we had were like, well, you know, how are we going to do this? and still deliver a Marvel movie. Um, So like the ships, for example, we did talk about them being very stealthy and very quiet. And so when I designed it and premixed them, we actually would have one premix that was realistic sounds of just air movement. So like if something was flying through the air that had no form of propulsion, it just was flying through the air, what what kind of sound would that make? And then um, Ryan really wanted these things to have sonic propulsion. So if something was being propelled by sound, what would that sound like? And that kind of opens you up to lots of opportunities. Mm-hmm. We decided that maybe the stealthy nature of it was more that it didn't make much sound as it was coming by you, but perhaps when it went by, then you would hear that propulsion sound. Yeah. So you get a little bit of the stealth and then a little bit of the excitement for like a Marvel kind of thing. And one of the sounds that we use, two sounds that we use for that that were really fun were... Um, this, these bird calls, these African bird calls that we had kind of pitched and modulated to work as the ships flying by. So we had the air movement sound in the one pre-dub and then these kind of bird calls just kind of howling as they went by. And then the final sound for when it goes by was mostly from something that uh, Benny Burt had recorded, which was like a rocket car and it goes supersonic. And so it just makes this weird, explosive, almost ricochet kind of sound. So when the ships are flying by, you kind of get this combination of these organic, realistic sounds of flying through the air. But then this bird sound that's modulated, but you don't know it's a bird, but that's kind of what its source is. And then you have this ricochet type sound. So overall, like Wakanda kind of had these combinations of organic, realistic, often African-based sounds, percussion in some of the weapons, things like that. And then real high tech synthetic type things to just kind of give it that to be expected sci-fi kind of futuristic vibe. Yeah. And then you've also got, um, you know, visually some really ancient weapons. There's lots of like, you know, swords and spears and, and, and that sort of thing. But they, but acoustically they sound very different. And the idea like with the fights on the falls was that these were ancient ritualistic fights. Um, Nobody has superpowers at that point. They're fighting on a waterfall. They're fighting almost naked with just ancient instruments uh, or weapons. And so, um, yeah, the idea was that here you have this superhero movie and these people are stripped of all their superpowers and they're just down to their ancient ritualistic fight. They would strip them down. Um, they were stripped down. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you guys about those two, the the two big, the ritualistic fights at the falls, because, you know, uh, obviously uh, anybody who's been to a waterfall knows it's basically just a big white noise generator. <laughs> so you've got to establish that, but then what do you do, you know, after 
once you get into the sequences. Well, they established that when they recorded it because they actually did have some waterfalls on the set. Most of it was green screen, but they basically recorded them doing these fights and then gave these really noisy sounds to Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> and then he cleaned them up, and then I put a bunch of noisy waterfall and they sounds put the water back, back in. Back in. Like, the water oh, that's that in. water, right. <laughs> I got rid of Were that. you able to use those production tracks at all? Or was it... it was a combo of production and ADR, so just it was back and forth for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I was just trying to fool Peter, so when he would go back and be like, did I record which that one, or Which one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we did actually uh, put. I put a lot of the waterfall sounds in the Atmos ceiling speakers so that they were kind of out of the way and you could feel the height of the water. Um, but you could also hear the action on the screen and the dialogue. Um, I did make one pre-dub that was just dedicated to the very specific on-camera stuff that you would see. So like when you cut to one angle and there's a waterfall in the background on the left. So you could hear that, so that those sounds that kind of would pop on, and those are the things that you miss when they're not there. Right. And yeah. then you have a bed of stuff that you fill in around as much as you can get away with without, like you say, turning it into white noise. Yeah, you feel that energy drop away, of course, too, when you pull down the blanket of white noise. You're like, what? What's good? so? It's you know, using music to kind of get out of it. You know, whenever you started using the music, you kind of try to get out a lot of that white noise, especially let the music, you know, play through. Um, but and, and the music were... in those scenes was interesting too because they were kind of going back and forth between um, music that was actually being played by people on screen. If right. you watch, you can see that happens that. actually a lot in the movie. You've got yeah. people playing yeah. drums, and you've got people actually like being with these percussive instruments. So that's a huge part of the obviously the, that's that's driving the musical score that Ludwig had to to work into what he was doing. Yep. And you you obviously you have to sort of modulate that with all the rest of the material. Yeah, you know, they go back and forth between it. And some of it, there was some production, you know, as well that had to go along with, you know, Ludwig's track. So syncing that all up, and then you get a picture not in the middle, and then you're like, wait a minute, you know. Yeah. So, but it, it was um, production, percussive, percussion, um, Ludwig stuff, and then you have to actually make it sound like, is it coming from the set or from the, you know, from the film, or is it actually score? You know, back and forth. And Kim Fuscato did the loop group where they, they sang, right? Yeah. Was that the loop group? Yeah. Well, there was loop group, there was choir, and there was also some production singing as well. So it's wow. a combination of all of that. Yeah. So then when they're singing T'Challa on the falls, along with the score, you have like multiple different sound departments all have to be in constant communication yeah, and just to make sure that it all and in sync yeah. to make sure all it works. I mean, the good news for us was that it, it was so complicated. They had to have it really well thought out ahead of time. And uh, so when you're working on those scenes, you know, they're not going to change dramatically as far as picture cut. So you, the work that you're doing is all going to just keep evolving and getting Except better. Except for just at the very end. Except for the very the end last, where they take it. the last week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's always that like, oh, we got to get that one thing out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it also kind of goes back to that, you know, it's got to have that natural sound. It's got to feel, you got to make it feel as, as again, stripped down. You're talking about stripping down their weapons and stuff. Right, it's the right. same thing. It's got to right. feel kind of, you know, natural. It's got to feel very primal. Yeah, you exactly. Know, like, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat. And then you go to Oakland, you've got your 808s and your, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the whole other side of it. 808s and bar trains, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even even like, you know, when we did like the futs, you know, that was a thing we talked a lot about. Because, oh, right. again, you're like, 
Well, it's not actually in their ear. It's actually like something they put on their bone so they actually hear it inside their head. Oh, so you're talking about their communication device? Communication device. Which is basically something they kind of put. So it's a little like transmitter receiver that they would put behind their ear. Behind the ear, exactly. And so how did you, yeah, how how did you treat the voices? We we messed with the, I mean, originally I kind of wanted everything recorded like NPR, you know, and I wanted it to sound like that, but that wasn't a reality. What do you mean by that? Like, like Like I wanted it to be like like close mic, warm and and close mic. Uh-huh. But then, you know, with the cut, you didn't know if it was going to be a futz line or if it was going to be a line on screen. And, you know, uh-huh. it really didn't be, it just wasn't practical. Um, so then I was just trying to figure out, well, what's going to be futz that's not that, you know, it's got to, you have to differentiate between, you know, production, regular production on screen. So I, I would take the futz and I actually, I flipped one side. So I put it out of phase with itself hmm. and just put it left, right, and then stuck a little something up the middle so it kind of wouldn't collapse. But so it kind of gives you that head suck feel, that, that right. thing that we all kind of hate. But it kind of feels like it's a little <laughs> bit... specialty. Yeah, exactly. I'm really good at making <laughs> things that people hate. And, uh, uh, <laughs> but it kind of feels like it's a little more internal that way. So at, le- at least it just kind of stuck out you know, from the screen a little bit different, you know. By doing something you shouldn't do. (laughs) (laughs) The secret of your success, break the rules, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was crazy because it's, uh, I mean, one of the things we found really quickly, you go into this with all the, we talked about on the phone all the time um, during the commute. And it was like, um, how are we going to do this? You know, this is another example of the technology is so advanced that it shouldn't sound degraded in quality. If anything, like Brandon was saying, it should sound better in quality, like an NPR radio thing you know where it's like super super clear but then people are so trained to understand that futz means telecommunication of some right. sort. Yeah, you don't want to take anybody sort of, out yeah. of the movie we i still had to kind of futz it but at least yeah. i can kind of do something to it to kind of change it but you still kind of get to this like kind of a futz you know yeah, so yeah, yeah. people don't think about it you don't want to watch the movie and actually enjoy it without actually going like oh that's a new that's a new futz right. oh it sounds like <laughs> npr are they listening to the radio what's going on you know it's you want just Watch the movie and enjoy it without having to think about it. Talk to me about the Korea sequence. That's such an amazing kind of set piece, that whole action sequence. We should probably give a shout out to your Foley team at this point too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I mean, across the board, just the thing that's great about the Foley team, well, the multiple teams that we have here at Skywalker is that that they do Foley that just kind of sits and it works. And so you don't really have to think about it. And then when you don't think about it, um, you almost forget that they did it, mm. which is a great thing. Sure. It's an amazing thing. And uh, uh, you can always count on that just being the case. Like that that sequence, the Foley was like was critical. And it's all like one long continuous shot, which is just amazing to yeah. kind of go back and remind yourself of. But all of the action, all the stuff that's going on, all of the story points that have to be communicated, especially with, with the futzing lines that uh, Brandon's talking about, you know, they're telling a lot of the story. Um, through that, um, yeah, it was it was pretty through complicated. Full on music, yeah, with full you know, on music. You sure, know, you know, Ryan was like, "I want that music as loud as possible all the way through." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. What about the dialogue? What about the in the <laughs> car? The the, yeah, what like, about is, the, what about the foley? Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> but my okay, foley, the foley and the music as loud as. You know, but my foley's so beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, so." That was kind of a dance for sure to get all that poke through. But, well, um, I, so while you're talking about that, like I'm, I'm really curious, like I want to talk with you about the final big battle sequence as well because, you know, 
just the challenge for you guys of like the screen is so full of stuff going on and there's the there's the armored rhinos and there's the the weaponry and like you've got fight you've got multiple fights going on in different places and then then you cut to the spaceships they're firing like how do you how do you just keep it from becoming a mess after you know a, a certain point like well, you start and also and also just keeping the audience from not getting exhausted by the whole yeah. thing yeah <laughs> start with a mess yeah you start with don't let anyone, anyone in the room the table. <laughs> you know it's just, it's just you know uh, okay well that's, you that's uh, so that's Brandon, the end of our interview what did thank you, you. Uh, exactly <laughs> look like, at this place clean your mess uh no i mean it, it's kind of true because you have you have to have everything you start with everything you have you know you know you have your full effects your music everything's cut you know because you, and it's soon, not like, if you don't have something, you're going to need it. As soon as you don't right. have it, you're going to need it. And so it's you, not like Ludwig just set out that whole sequence, right? No, right. yeah. Because Reed was right and, in there with you guys. And let's right? talk about, I mean, not only is it an amazing score, but, you know, it's a lot of percussion. Right. So, you know, think of like, you know, hits and guns and the dial, anything, but especially like all the fight sequences and stuff, you know. You know, when do you hear a hit and, you know, a talking drum? You know, it's there, there's a lot of competition there, you know. Uh, you have to hand off back and forth. You have to kind of like remind people that this is the music, you know, then there's ways to get away from it and actually show the effects and kind of just take off back and forth between mm-hmm. it and then carve room for dialogue here and there when you need to. Mm-hmm. But it's always just constantly carving, you know, the pieces that you can take away that, that nobody's going to miss. You know, you might miss it if you took the music completely out. You're like, oh, you know. Well, and it's also a great opportunity for you guys because there's so much visually going on, on the screen. You can actually use the sound to to steer the attention. Oh yeah, and you know what? Actually, uh, Ryan and Marvel they were really smart about the way they did it um, because basically they said, "Don't you know? Do work and get the preparation. Make the mess for that right. final sequence, but it's going to continue to change and continue to evolve. So leave the rest. Leave your focus primarily on the rest of the movie. So let's get the rest of the movie dialed." And let the visual effects get updated. Because I the presume music... the visual effect that that sequence must have been one of the last pieces that came together. Yeah, right, yeah, from a absolutely. So right? I mean, and with that in mind, it's like just an enormous shout out to the whole editorial crew because that whole sequence changed pretty dramatically from what we premixed before we started the final mix, and they kept the premixes up to date. They started doing new sound design, new visual effects. Um, Benny and David Hughes and actually the whole crew, they just really kind of kept that thing moving so that when we got to the point where we're putting it up and we're going to start mixing, I would put up premixes that were nothing like I remembered doing. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, take credit for them. But yeah, uh, well, no, it, just, it was great. It was really cool. And, and the dialogue team, too, like you know, Kim Fiscato and Chris Goodley and Cheryl Nardi, and they were just everything was mixed in the box so we weren't using consoles in the traditional sense everything all my plugins and i have maybe too many plugins but um trying to you can I never got, have, I have to plugins, reduce man. yeah I think. Oh, you can. uh and so <laughs> but you know the amount of conforms you have you know, they, they would get that software you know the automation would just work you know they bring yeah. it back to me I'm like i don't know how you got this change over this fast you know like we're playing back in 30 minutes and there's a change to do and uh the, the team was tight they were yeah. really they really put it together quick can you guys tell me a little bit about Dolby Atmos uh, in the film? And like Steve, were you thinking about Atmos from the beginning as you were doing sound design? Was this was this native Atmos from mm-hmm. all, all yep. the way through? That actually came from Ryan. He he insisted he he wanted to be an Atmos mix for sure. Uh, which why I wanted Atmo- as well. Why was Atmos important to him? Had you guys done Creed in Atmos? No. So why was Atmos important to Ryan? 
uh, he he liked it. He liked the idea of it. He really wa- he wanted to do it on Creed too. Because we didn't too. do Creed enough. <laughs> yeah, he really wanted to. And we talked quite a bit about it. And you know, it was designed to be Atmos from the very beginning. Um, the way I like to kind of do things is uh, is always be thinking about this, the other speakers beyond the normal five one or seven one. And uh, I got all the guys on the crew guys and girls, everybody on the crew, just like, here's what we're going to do. Here's a premix of sound of um, a premix that's going to be all stuff that's going to go up towards the ceiling. So if you're if you have a fresh idea of something you think might be cool to put up there, let's put it in here. And so everybody was kind of mixing as they were designing and mixing as they were editing um, with that in mind. And so when, when it got to the point where we were actually mixing stuff down, everybody was already kind of in sync with what we were going to do. So that was always in our minds. Anything from the from the dialogue perspective? How did Atmos uh, help you? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, usually it's a little less in the dialogue, but there's definitely some moments where, you know, people fly up in the air or actually, you know, get knocked in. And that's kind of where you get to have some fun with it. You know, maybe some reverb here and there. You know, there's definitely some of those, you know, places where there's kind of a cavern that goes all the way up. You can kind of play with perspective and, and kind of slapping the, the, you know, dialogue up, you know. You can also you've got a lot more options to move music and absolutely and, and actually maybe free up some space in the front channels. Totally, we had choir, you know, a little higher. A lot of the higher you know, elements, you know, you know, higher strings we'd pull up. Um, there was pretty much always something in the Atmos object speakers. In fact, it's... you and I work that way all the time. It's always have it lit, always have something in it, so it's not like something just kind of pokes through up there. It actually is part of the tapestry of it all. You know, it's it's uh, and uh, you know always trying to make sure it's nice and wide and tall. And uh, but I think it works really. Yeah, I mean, even amazing. in ancestral planes, there's stuff that's all around and all above you. Right. So that it's it's kind of like you develop this language of this is the kind of movie you're watching. So that yeah, like Brandon says, when you put something in a non-traditional speaker, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Right. Um, it's a immersive the entire time. That being said, you know, especially the way you cut, you, you you've got your you have special sounds that are always up here and on the sides. So it's different. Yeah. It's not like you're just kind of up mixing whatever's on the side up, and that that actually really kind of creates a lot a lot of depth and space. What do you mean by that? What is always up? Well, yeah. So the there's there's he's got certain sounds that he's or certain you know backgrounds that are actually just for you know the the upper the speakers uh-huh. you know and they're not actually just being up mixed from the sides. Mm. So uh, it creates kind of a, a wider you know depth of space. I think. The waterfall is probably the best example of that. There's entire pre-dubs that are dedicated to the waterfall sounds that are above you the whole time. And um, it's the only way that you could get dialogue and the other things to kind of cut through and have their place is to take something that it's weird. On the one hand, like you say, it's white noise and it can be annoying after a while. But it is a waterfall. And they and if it's doing, not there, it would be weird. Exactly. Yeah, and they're doing a lot of work to make sure that visually you see this constant waterfall all around you and so how do we do that without it becoming annoying and the best way i found was to surround it all around you using the atmos speakers um at all times basically and our foley team you know, like i just know the foley is going to be so good like is there any production i can get rid of that i don't like anything that's not pretty basically yeah, yeah. Uh, or not or maybe visceral like i remember sticking some water back in from the production because it was just dirty and great when they were down there fighting and i was like i just want that water to just kind of like just be really just I don't know, just really aggressive, you know, yeah. and not pretty. And we just grabbed a bunch of, like, production water and stuck it in there just right in the center, but it just kind of made it feel a little bit more, I don't know, it's, it's visceral, I guess, is yeah. the, the word. But 
Well, I always like to, I mean, I, you know, I ask you guys about sequences, but I always like to ask too, like for each of you, what's your favorite scene from the movie from a, from a sound perspective? Like what, what makes you happy when you watch the movie? This will be really bizarre, but we were talking about the ancestral planes and you cut back to, uh, Oakland and, uh, Oh, what's what's the line? It's like you know. Oh, what you know? What did you do with him? And he says we left him, and then we cut back to young Killmonger standing there looking up at the ship as it goes away. Right. And this became a thing. We called it the contentious boom. And I'm I I'm not sure whether I cut it in or David Hughes did, and neither of us are sure because we both love to work together on the sound design side of things because like Brandon and I with the mix, we have a very similar aesthetic taste. And so it's entirely possible either one of us put it in. I'm just going to say for argument that he put it in and that I embraced it. But um, but it just it was on the cut to Killmonger standing there as a boy. And it became a very the reason I call it the contentious boom, the whole room as we played it back had this discussion about, okay, what is, what does that mean? Right. Are we booming the boy? And that was Ryan's concern was that it made it seem like this young boy was, was dark and bad and evil. And he wasn't, he had not yet been radicalized. Right. Um, but to me, it was about the idea that they left him. Right. And that he was going to be radicalized by the actions that they did to him. Mm. The exclamation point. Yeah, yeah. So we had, and we literally pulled the room with the Marvel execs and everyone. (laughs) We played it with and without, because without, it's just like a very faint, you know, Bart sound. Mm. And it's, and it's really like delicate and quiet and maybe more sad without it. And so we kind of go back and forth, like, is it, is it more sad without it? Or do you, do you want to have that? And is that something that you want at that point? Yeah. Or do you want the exclamation point to kind of like, oh, this is where it all started. Started. Right. Right. And so that's what we were, we talked a lot about. And it's funny. It's just that one sound that kind of really just tipped it either way. It's so funny. Like you've got probably, I don't know. 150,000 sounds in this film. Oh, yeah, but yeah. But you can, like, focus the whole conversation for a long, almost one thing. Well, it's a, it's a critical turning point in the movie. Right. And to me, it's a pretty important part of what the whole movie's about. Right. You know, they left him. They radicalized him. I mean, if we were going to use the political language of today and say that people are radicalized, then this kid that was left without a family in Oakland was radicalized. Right, yep. right. And um, that's an important message and it's a turning point in the whole movie really yeah, it totally is and then a turning point in in t'challa's kind of approach to things i love so, a good score right after that too oh amazing? yeah the yeah. whole thing is just so powerful. oh you know what another one that's really cool <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> he said ludwig's school ludwig's score that the, the score where everything turns upside down i for uh, some yeah. reason to me so the whole the image turns upside down and are you talking music, about when um he when says Kilmarger burn comes it all in, when Kilmarger comes in for, to, and to the throne room. To the throne right. room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he says, burn it all, and the whole world turns upside down in a yeah. very beautiful image of what's actually happening in the story. And the music that is in there is great because it's like this... That's when Oakland arrives in Wakanda, yeah. basically. You've got the, you know, I mean, it's, it's true. You know what I mean? It's, uh-huh. that, it's, that, it's that moment where the, the music is actually kind of, you know... Right. It shifts from this this beautiful, I think it's like choir and strings, to all of a sudden when it turns upside down, the 808 comes in. Yeah. Not to make 808 the evil sound, I, but it's the Oakland. I, I know. It's, and you're talking about things. I was going to say one of my favorite scenes, is, or like sound-wise anyways, is like the opening 
which right. uh, it's too short, you know, and you're yeah. coming into Oakland and I guess it's another 808. But, you know, uh, but there's just something, you know, we had a lot of fun with, you know, having it be the, you know, the it kind of starts big and it goes to the car and then we get to kind of do what we did in Creed where we're in the fight with that one shot and it, where it's the sure. one camera angle. So we're going to just move everything just move that, around, that yeah. boom, you know, coming out of the car, the radio moving around and the kids and everybody's like just just having that one single shot, you know, to which is always fun to do with sound. And uh, then to go upstairs and, and start the film. And there's just something about that scene that I love. You know, the, the audience for this podcast, we've learned there's a lot of students that listen to it. So I just wanted to ask you both kind of like, how did you get started? Like, what did you, you know, how, how did this these careers come uh, together for you guys? Uh, I'll go and start. Um, you know, I went to San Francisco State uh, and I went through the uh, Becca department, which was the broadcasting. Um, always had a thing for audio. So, you know, as a musician, doing music stuff, loved film. My mom raised me on film. And, um, you know, basically went through that whole curriculum, working with Audio Engineering Society, the AES, NARIS, where I knew Leslie Ann Jones. And Leslie's actually how I got my job here because I would set up tours here, you know. So I was just always trying to be the guy that was in contact with everybody at every studio. I used to help um, Paul Stubblebine, you know, do journalism for all the music studios in San Francisco, anywhere where I was talking to anybody I possibly could. I just wanted to be the person that like, if anything, like, oh yeah, you're that guy that called me six months ago, whatever it was, you know? So I just wanted to have, you know, I didn't know how to get my name out there. You know, I didn't have like an album out or, you know, I didn't just release anything. I uh, didn't have a movie, you know? So, um, and then I had a job offer in LA and I called Leslie up here. I had just graduated and, uh, perfect timing you know there was a room in the machine room so i started in the central machine room uh you know it's slinging mag and um you know and i had enough foundation with you know mixing consoles and you know film and music that um i could learn more right <laughs> here you know than so you I spent learned. several years here as a mix technician which is sort of exactly. an, kind of an, an apprentice mixer yep. position and then you started doing like my memory is that like you started doing more and more really low budget, oh, yeah. you know, independent stuff, and then you just build credits and. I taught myself Pro Tools here at night. Right. So uh, I would I got two animation projects, and I would sit in one of the mix stages at night, working all night long, um, just learning Pro Tools by myself because we didn't have Pro Tools at school at the time. They do now, by the way, um, and I would just work as a mix tech during the day or sometimes night when we go late. And at night, I would mix every independent film I possibly could. I, I did so many free films. I did a free film a couple years ago. I mean, it still happens, you know, just because I cared and I wanted to do it, you know, just because I had the time. Um, but I did a lot of, a lot of freebies, you know, just to kind of learn what the, what's going on and make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> well, yeah, and you have to develop your own style, right? Totally. Steve? Hmm. <laughs> um, I was going to school UC San Diego and then Santa Barbara and studied music, but I was always kind of studying. Both of you guys come from a musical background, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I find that's the case for a lot of people who end up in post-production sound. Yeah, I didn't know about post-production sound. And I, I played in bands and stuff, and I knew I liked it. I knew I liked sitting at a mixing desk. I knew I liked all that part of it. And I also liked tweaking things musical instruments and guitars and things like that and just making them sound really weird and bizarre um and and trying to write music that was 
oftentimes experimental and borderline unlistenable. But it was fun, you know. Yeah. And so um, I started when I got out of school. I decided that for a couple years before I got a real job, I would try to work in audio, like work at some companies that did audio. And so I did um, sample libraries for a long time. I actually had a guy that I was in a band with. His older brother um, bought a early sampler, and I was hooked on it. And just like Brandon was saying. You know, you, you spend nights, you realize it's four o'clock in the morning and you thought it was 930 yeah. at night. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, I think I like this. Yeah. So um, <laughs> so I decided to try to get a job working at a company that did that kind of thing because I was into it. And I started working at DigiDesign, which became Avid. And so I got to know Pro Tools and all that stuff through that. And uh, it didn't take long for me to realize I really wanted to use it. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, through the company, I started to meet more and more people, and particularly Ren Kleiss, who was doing commercials and was going to try to get into film. Um, we became friends, and I just was lucky. I kind of rode his coattails, and he asked me to join him for his first film project, which was Seven. So the first movie I worked on was Seven. Not a bad way to start. Not right. a bad way to start. Yeah, it was a blast. And we did all kinds of crazy stuff because we didn't know what we were doing. And it's all stuff that you look back and go, oh, my God, I want to do that again. Yeah. You know, if you wanted to hear the sound of a commercial coming through the doorway in a corridor, you write a commercial. You know, if you want to hear the sounds of cars driving by with beats playing really loud, you write some music and then you get a car and you drive it by. You do all these really crazy fun things. And uh, and it was a blast. And so through Ren and through connections I had with DigiDesign, I met some people at Skywalker and um, Randy Tom who's just brilliant at this. He just always is helping out with people. Um, he he brought me in and I started working with him. And He spends a lot of time mentoring. He does. Yeah. He's yeah. really, and really helping great. Develop talent. He's yeah. so good at that. And, um, a lot of mentoring with me too, actually, back in the day. Yeah, and you get in the door and then you just try not to let him kick you out. <laughs> and I think once you get to know, once you get to know more and more about what it takes to do this and the people around you get to know that you're committed that you'll give up that birthday dinner and you'll you'll not take the trip for Thanksgiving because there's a mix that's got to finish yeah. that day after. Um, unfortunately, that's what it comes down to sometimes. Then people start to talk to you about maybe working on something. And so, and to me, the best is you just find people that are doing what you like to do and kind of hang out with them as much as possible hopefully have a good time <laughs> yeah but i honestly i didn't know that you could actually do this for a living i when i first started i thought someday i'm gonna work on a movie yeah so it's pretty cool well here you guys are it's yeah. gravy at this point yeah well congratulations you guys the work is just amazing the film is fantastic um congratulations on your oscar nomination yeah thank you so much pass it on to oscar the nominations the yeah. for you mr boderker well, two of them, you yeah. know that's fantastic. Uh, Brandon and Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It was really it was really fun, and, and you know, good luck in yeah, a few yeah, weeks. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, this is Glenn Kaiser. I'm signing off from Skywalker Sound for the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. <laughs>